Don't miss the Can-Am Holiday Volleyball Showcase, North America's premier men's volleyball event. Experience and enjoy world-class athletes, coaches, and competition in Toronto this holiday season, December 28th to 31st at the Toronto Pan-Am Sports Centre. Get your tickets while they last at www.cahvs.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for this guest and how he made time in his busy schedule. So our guest today has won several OUA championships, put Ontario back on the map and getting some U Sport medals, uh, has some involvement with the national team, known as one of the best recruiters in our sport. So I can't wait to ask him as many questions that we can get in this interview. But please welcome to the show from McMaster University, Dave Preston. Dave, thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks for having us on, Jeff. So you mentioned uh, you guys have just finished practices. The guys have finished up exams. Uh, sounds like you're ready for the Can-Am tournament. Uh, what are you guys looking forward to playing uh, in Toronto coming up? It's always great caliber when you get to play some of the best NCAA teams. Um, it's a unique time of year because everybody's at different stages, right? We're, we're just coming off a little five-day break. Uh, we've had uh, 21 days of exams, so everybody's at different points, um, but the caliber itself, uh, it's awesome. So we, we we get a lot out of these matches and hopefully catapult us into the, the second half is what we're really looking for. Now, casual fans of sports would say, oh, the NCAA, like, they're really good. Like There wouldn't be a lot of comparison with Canadian university sport, but I'd say men's volleyball is on par. Uh, with the NCAA. So with your experience playing, is there a different playing style or would you say that Canada is, is on par with the level that the Americans bring? Oh, absolutely. We're on par. I think probably more so than any other collegiate sport. Uh, men's volleyball, uh, some of it is uh, the, the comparative of the number of programs in the NCAA is comparative to the number of programs in Canada. So I think you just go off sheer volume is, is one uh, close uh, comparison but the other one is the talent level um, I think our, our Canadian athletes uh, rival the American athletes at that level obviously they have more of them um, just based on the 10 to 1 population uh, difference but um, yeah I, I think our top teams and their top teams battle it out which is why I think they're so interested in playing some of these matches as well now, the, the NCAA teams we have talked to, they, they know who McMaster is and know what you guys are about. Uh, what does that mean for you guys just for, for a program to know that uh, part of the reason they are coming to this tournament is to play yourself, Trinity, Alberta, like they, they know these Canadian teams and want to have a good battle? Well, I think it's, um, you know, I, I think it's always nice to get recognized by colleagues north or south of the border. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, I think uh, we work really hard here. We try and put a product on the floor that a lot of people can be proud of and other people take notice. That's great. But uh, we just do what we do here. We're, uh, we're trying to make student athletes better and, uh, and raise the level of volleyball in the country. Now, you uh, are, are kind of leading as far as Ontario teams and even new sports as far as always building your schedule to include some NCAA teams. Um, how do those relationships get built and how do you build around the schedule? Because they technically don't start their league play till January where we're a fall league sport, right? So does it take a lot of coordinating to find the right time to fit those matches in? Yeah, um, you know, 28 years in the league, you tend to make a few relationships. And uh, I think Pete Hansen and I had uh, probably the longest standing one at Ohio State. And we've been doing that uh, arrangement for better part of almost two decades. So with Ohio State and myself, even when I, before I was at McMaster, uh, we did some uh, some matches and, and when they can fit them in, their schedule is much more restrictive than ours. Um, and when they can play, usually we're in our league play. So this time of year usually is the, the opportunity where both have play dates available. So um, uh, and then uh, Alan at Long Beach and uh, Marv at Pepperdine have just been uh, good people that when I was with Team Canada, 
playing against us and good people that have coached collegiate for a long time you just develop those relationships and uh, i think for a long time we were hesitant to try and play some of those teams because i don't know if we were good enough at that stage but uh, once we got uh, uh, to a level that we were comfortable with and i think that they were comfortable with uh, then they knew that it was going to be mutually beneficial so going back and forth and kind of splitting leagues and, and countries in this case one thing that comes up a lot is the ball. And, and Kevin Birch from Ohio State, he gave me a flat answer and said, you know, you are who you are. The ball doesn't really depend that much, but it does affect the serve and pass game. Um, with your experience of kind of going back and forth, does it affect the setting game at all? Or, or is it really just the ball floats a little bit more when you use the Mikasa than the Molten? And that, that's the biggest thing to adjust to. Yeah, there, there's definitely a difference, especially with uh, spin servers. Um, the, the Molten is really a good spin serving ball. Um, and the Mikasa is a really good float serving ball. So I think depending on how you're built, um, I, I think it's. Uh, I think there are some some advantages to it. Uh, there's also some disadvantages. When it starts to get into the setting, it's it gets lessened. Uh, but I think the serving and the passing gets affected the most. But the truth of the matter is, if you're a good passer, you're going to be a good passer regardless of what ball it is. If there's some issues, they're probably going to show up one way or another, right? So. If your ball control is pure, both serving or passing, then it probably won't show up. Um, but if it's not, it's probably going to get magnified a little bit. Definitely, definitely. So looking at your schedule, you'll have three matches during the Can-Am, uh, and then you play Trinity right after, and then looks like we're in the second semester right away. Uh, how have these events influenced your training block? Like, How many guys are you bringing to the tournament? Are you planning on playing your ones? Is this a chance to maybe switch some lineups? Like, What's the plan kind of going in for these? Yeah, well, we're only going to be coming off of uh, two days of training before we jump into competition, right? Our guys get back on the 26th, we train on the 27th, 28th, and then we play on the 29th. So um, it's going to be a pretty tight turnaround for our guys. So we're going to ease our way through these three matches and make sure that we don't uh, overload. I think the, the the buzzword right now is your load management. So uh, we're going to make sure we don't overload anybody. But we there's a couple of spots that I really need to continue to build some depth in. And so we're going to work through those uh, agenda pieces. Um, and then the Trinity matches will have a little bit more underneath us. So we can probably go at those with a little bit of a steadier lineup. And, uh, you know, every team's on their own agenda right now. Every Everybody's on their own timeline and, and what their needs are. And sometimes they match up and you get a great match. And sometimes they don't and you, you get a little bit of a stinker. So um, it, it's always a gamble this time of year. But the coaches know that, uh, you know, and, and I think uh, the players will very much understand that. So with booking Trinity this late in the game because they are coming uh, to Toronto to play, uh, was that just a, a decision you couldn't pass up because odds are you're going to see them at Nationals and it's good to be across the net from them as many times as you can before U Sports? Yeah, I, I, that was the idea for sure, Josh. We we looked at uh, who was going to be at this tournament and we normally bring in an NCAA team into our own barn. Um, and so having those matches in the bridge for our fan base, we, we don't have that many home matches this year. So trying to you know give up these matches to play in a Can-Am wasn't really uh, at the top of my mind. So I wanted to try and find a solution to at least play a couple more in our own gym. And knowing that Trinity was here, talked to Ben, said, look, um, you know, we, we both benefit out of playing each other. Uh, what do you think? He was all for it right away. So um, anytime you get a chance to be, you know, to play the standard bear, uh, you do. And for now, as in my mind, at least Trinity Western is a standard bear. So um, when, when we can play them, bring them under our gym, get comfortable with them, um, you know, and uh, just see how we match up. So shifting gears back to league play, 
it feels like this year more than maybe the past 10 years, the OUA seems wide open. There's a lot of good teams and there's been a lot of wins and losses kind of happen that you may not have expected as a traditional follower of the league. Uh, how do you feel about your first semester and what are you looking forward to second semester of league play here? Um, a little bit of a feeling like the Wizard of Oz a little bit. Um, it was smoke and mirrors for a lot of us, for, the, for our team for the first half. Uh, we had seven different injuries, five to starters. In the first 10 matches we played, I played 10 different lineups. And uh, so it was it was a little bit of a challenge for the first half. We um, we had a few freshmen who were probably carrying a little bit more load than I wanted them to early. That's going to pay some dividends. I don't know when, but it also has some costs. And we paid for those costs. So um, we managed to get our way through most of the first half. Um, we lost a tough one to Queens. Queen played outstanding. Uh, we played pretty average. And you're right, Josh, in our league right now, you can't play average and expect to win. So uh, we got our hats handed to us. and uh, But I think we learned from it. Uh, and then in the second half of the first half, we started to hit stride a little bit. We got a few more guys back off the injury reserve list. Uh, a few, uh, our lineup was able to stabilize itself a little bit. And then we started to play a little bit of what I would call McMaster Volleyball. And so, you know, the, the curtain came back from the Wizard of Oz, so to speak. But, uh, yeah, we, I thought we hit stride in our last four matches. And uh, so it was, it, it was unique. Um, but uh, I, I think uh, overall we built some depth when we could. And we tried to get as consistent as we could when that depth was in speaking to some some friends who have come through the MAC program, they, they love the practice environment, but I want to know how you kind of created the, like even going back to the Nate Groenbell days and then through Danny and Steven and Richards and those guys to the current guys, it sounds like you guys have some battles of practice and guys aren't afraid to bring some intensity and maybe talk through the net or, or have a little fun with that side, but how do you manage that, that when practice is over, it's back to like a brotherhood, that it's it's go, 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 and everybody's trying to win the drill, but then when everything stops, we're, we're on the same team and everybody's okay with it again. Yeah, I think, well, the, the terms that we use are positive rivalry. Um, and so, you know, everybody's got, I hope you're good today, therefore I have to be good today, and therefore we all get better today. Um, but I think when it starts to fall apart is when you start to evaluate your performance and do some comparatives, right? Or, hey, I'm a little bit of better passer than Josh, so I should be playing more. That's a trap. It's always a trap. And so if we just try and really focus on being better versions of ourselves every day, then we don't have to do those comparisons. And players play and coaches coach. And I think once you build that trust and you build that culture and you build that environment, it's easier to do. It's a lot easier to say than it is to do, but it becomes easier to do when everybody knows that we're all on the same page here. And, and it is a positive rivalry and, and we are trying to make each other better. And uh, I think one of the best uh, things I've learned in probably the last five years, I got it actually from the, from the th uh, School of Theater, Improvisational Arts. And uh, they came in and did a coaching um, uh, session with us. And uh, they talked about an attitude of gratitude. And in, in the improvisation world, uh, the actors on stage are really, really thankful that they've got other strong people on stage because then they can build off. They say the worst thing you can have is somebody who can't hold their, their improv, right? Because then everything falls apart. Well, you think it's going somewhere and then it goes someplace completely different. So the stronger the actors are on stage, the better the improv. And so I took that and 
and put it into a volleyball light and thinking, okay, well, the stronger the players in practice, the better our training is going to be. So if we can use that attitude of gratitude that we're actually really thankful that there's other good players in our gym that are testing me every day, that, are, that we're actually grateful for the opportunity to just play, then maybe those comparatives go away a little bit and we just focus on our own development. And so we really try and focus on that positive rivalry and our attitude of gratitude. And I, I think, yeah, I guess in the real tough times, it really shows whether or not they believe it or not. But um, I would say that uh, it's, a, it's a staple in our, in our practice gym right now where guys understand that. And when you come to Mac, you know that that's part of the deal. So is that something you look for in the recruiting process when bringing in new athletes or is the culture so strong that this could be a learned skill for a lot of athletes to come in? Well, I think there's got to be a component of it. I think there's got to be a level of understanding of it. Uh, if, you, if you just don't get the concept, then it's going to be hard for you to live it. If you get the concept and you don't uh, agree with it, then it's probably not the right place. Um, so I think, uh, I think recruiting is all about trust and fit. That's in my mind. Um, I got to get uh, the right athletes and put them in positions that they trust that is, is for their good. Uh, when you're taking an athlete to their limit, it's always a challenge, right? So they've got to trust that you're doing it for the right reasons. And um, those aren't always comfortable situations. So they've got to trust that you've got their best interest at heart. So I think trust is a very big, important part uh, of our recruiting process. But the, that understanding of it, they, they have to know. Um, and so, yeah, there's going to be some some skills, some character that needs to um, show up in our gym. So I think, uh, you know, I, I've said it a number of times, uh, your, your talent will get you noticed, but your character will get you recruited. Now, you guys have earned a very good reputation with recruiting, and I, I think it'd be too easy of an answer to say, oh, well, they've been successful, and that's why people want to come here, where uh, I've heard, even heard rumblings where you'll recruit an athlete playing a different sport just to see their character, maybe when they're not like the alpha in a sport or something a little bit less, right? So what do you enjoy about recruiting or how do you go to these extra lengths where you're willing to watch, I don't know, a high school soccer game to make sure that a guy's the right fit for you guys? Um, yeah, it's true. I've watched some basketball games. I've watched uh, a number of, uh, a number of players play other sports. I did, again, if you're going to try and assess character, you can't do it in an afternoon. Um, so you, you got to spend some time and sometimes, you know, he just, it doesn't work out, right? They, they, you spend a lot of time working with an athlete or recruiting an athlete and they decide to go somewhere else. And you know what, that's the cost of doing business, but I wouldn't do it any other way. I, I, from, you know, we got 19 guys in our roster right now. Every one of those 19 guys I trust. Um, and when my, when my daughters were younger, I used to use my daughters as a, as a barometer of if I had to leave the gym, cause my daughter, my family travels with us often. And if, when my daughters were younger, if I had to leave the gym, would I trust that young man to look after my children? And if the answer was, I'm not sure, then I didn't know if I trusted that man with the keys of our program. So I, I was, I, I kind of used that as a barometer and I still kind of keep that in the back of my head. My daughters don't need to be babysat any longer, but I still use that of um, that kind of, would I trust this person in those scenarios? And, and so I, you know, I, I, I try and, take as much time and put see them in as many different scenarios as possible to assess that. So I want to see how they react against or react to good calls and bad calls, how they react to the official, how do they react to their teammates, how do they react to their parents and their coaches when the match is done. And I, I look for all those things. And uh, yeah, of course, 
they've got to have the fundamentals there and they've got to have some physicality there. They're, they're, those things go without question. But it's those other things that I like to take a look for and that those aren't always easy to see. Now, the culture from, from an outsider looks like it's stayed consistent as athletes continue to cycle in and out. Are you the one really driving this or is there a lot of stuff that the guys in the room and the leadership group can really do for the team? Like how far does this go? Is it really coaches driving it or when you get to third and fourth year, are those guys buying it and making sure the first years are up to speed with what, what the standard is around here? Yeah, I think our leadership is part of our culture. I really do. I think it's a big part. Um, we spend a lot of time with that. We have a, a very good, I believe, a very good leadership program within our program. Um, we have a leadership council that the guys uh, define who their leaders are going to be at the beginning of the year. There's a, uh, almost a 70-page, 70-question 70 questions in a questionnaire of who do you think would be good at in these scenarios and the guys have to answer all that stuff and um and so we we get a, a pretty good barometer out of uh out of the guys of who they think their leaders are going to be and then from there we give it to the to back to the student athlete to say okay josh you've been identified by your teammates as uh, a potential leader for this program here's the responsibilities do you want to take this on? And we've had players say, you know what? I'd prefer not. I just want to focus on me this year. And thanks for the opportunity. Um, and then most guys will say, yeah, I'm all over that. And then we meet every week, uh, every Monday morning. Uh, we meet as a leadership group and we go over the, you know, the state of the team room and where we're at, where we want to go, how we're going to get there, what the skills are of each person in that room identifying who the strengths are to handle certain situations and good leadership development opportunities for all those guys. So I think it's probably a mix of what you're talking about, a little bit of me and a little bit of them and a whole bunch of which is probably more important is followership. When we talk about leadership and you got three guys, five guys standing in front of the room and they're talking about what they're going to do. You've got more guys standing behind them that have to get in line. And so I think the followership is just as important as the coach or the leader and the leadership council. So I think it's a part of it, and but I do think it's a big component of our whole culture. Now, just to pull on that point uh, with the followership, um, we recently had Garrett May on the show, extremely mentally tough athlete, high-performance athlete. He mentioned that his philosophy was uh, if, if myself, if I'm having a bad day, Garrett doesn't want to get involved with that because now I'm distracting him and I'm pulling him away from his best, right? So how do you find the balance where looking up and down the years of being master, you guys have had a lot of strong personalities on your team and, and you let them have be there themselves, right? But how do you manage, take care of yourself and bring what you can do, but also lead or follow or, or do those little things too, right? Yeah, I, I, well, I think if you don't take care of yourself, then it's going to be impossible for you to lead. Um, you've got to take care of your own house first. And so... And that's part of our leadership um, inventory that we put everybody through. Of Look, here's, here's your responsibilities. Make sure they're taken care of. And then when they are, we're going to assist with some other stuff. And we're going to help this young man through this. And so, yeah, I think in, in that leadership, um, you, you always put the team first. But in terms of taking care of your own details, you always got to take care of your own details. Otherwise, it's going to you know, it's, it's going to be a hollow message. It's going to fall on deaf ears because, you know, the, the immediate response is going to be, well, Josh, you don't even have your own stuff taken care of. And now you're telling me to, you know, trying to hold Definitely. me accountable, yeah. that kind of stuff. So you, you want to avoid those situations as much as possible where you take care of your own accountabilities and then you can help assist others with theirs. 
So for a coach like yourself who's been involved with the national team program, was there anything that you could pull right away and bring back to the university level? Or is there even something you found that you're like, wow, that's really cool and it works for them, but it's not going to help us right now? Pro probably a lot more of those yeah. than the others. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, the, uh, from an executional point of view, you know, the higher you go, the more you can do, right? And so when you get to the collegiate level, these guys just can't do everything that all those international guys are doing all the time. Um, you know, I think that the, the coaching motto is don't do tactically what you can't do technically, right? So I think, you know, we, we my job is developmental, but I think more than anything, having spent 10 years with our national team programs and, and well, 10 plus years, I guess now, um, knowing what it takes to be there and then bringing it back gives me good carrots to hold in front of the guys, right? Of, hey, this, if this is where you want to go, then this is what we got to get to. And, um, you know, if hadn't, if I hadn't been there and I hadn't seen it, I've been very fortunate to work with some of the best coaches and, and coach against some of the best coaches in the world. Um, having known and been there and spent some time there, it's easier for me to bring that back and say, look, if this is really what you say you want to do, Brandon Coppers, then this is where we're going to have to get to. Stephen Marr, if this is really what you want to do, then this is what you're going to have to get to. Obviously, it's all on them to take care of it. So I see myself as a facilitator, right? You know, I'll provide some opportunities, but you guys got to make sure you take care of it. Now, how would you manage the goal setting with your team? Like, obviously, um, you guys have been successful and put a ton of athletes on the national team. Is that something that's talked about from day one that Steve Marr enters as a first year and says, I want to be a national team player? Or is there... Uh, another buzzwords in sport right now is like the process that you just do something every day versus we're not going to talk about winning championships or playing at the Olympics, right? So how would you manage those two things? Yeah, not everybody in our team thinks that they're going to be a pro, but everybody's going to be held to the same account. So that's the standard. Uh, if, if you're going to play for McMaster, then this is the standard of which you will be held to, whether you want to play pro or not. There's a lot more transferables than just passing and serving and, and hitting and blocking. So understanding how to be a good teammate, understanding how to, you know, uh, other things that will translate into the arena you will go to next, whether that's volleyball or business or grad studies. So the term I use is next level ready. Uh, my job is to make sure that every one of our student athletes is next level ready. If that's pro, if that's national team, great. Then they know what they need. And if that's going to be business or grad school, then they know what they need. And we're going to focus on each one of the individual athletes. So everybody's got their own agenda. But we meet three times a year as a, as a coach to player. And we go over that kind of stuff of, hey, where are you at? What do you want to do? And some guys think they want to play pro until they actually have to do what work is required to yeah. become a pro. And they're like, yeah, you know what? Um, we're good. I'm, I'm, I'm good after collegiate. We're, we're done with that. Um, so everybody is different. I have to kind of assess that, but it doesn't change the standard of which they're held to account. And that means if you're going to play here, here's how hard we're going to work. You're either in or you're not. And if you're not, that's okay. But if you're in, whether you're going to be a pro or not, this is what we're going to push to. Uh, and just to circle back to your really good point about technical tactical volleyball there, um, I, again, I, I could be off base as an outsider here, but it looks like you're not married to a system where some years – you know, Santonio was dominant, uh, Santonio, excuse me, was dominant in the middle, so he ran a lot of middle. When you had Mar, obviously, like, wing-based stuff. So it doesn't look like you have a max system and you're plugging people in. It looks like you're willing to adjust. So how would you help, like, a high school or a club-level coach identify, this is what we can do technically, therefore this is what we can do tactically, and that creates our system versus 
opening up a binder says, you know what, I saw Mac, they ran a lot of pipe-based offense last year, so I, I want to do that with my team, right? Yeah, I think that's a trap, eh? Um, it, it, it's, it, I, I have to, having been around the game now long enough to see what the great teams are doing, the, the skill isn't to observe what they're doing. The skill is to observe what they're doing and say, how does that work for us? Right. And how, how could I, how could we do, how could we do that? And so I'm glad to hear that you recognize that because I, you know, I understand the game of volleyball, but I also understand our, our roster. This is what we got. And sometimes our system will change based on personnel. Like, you know, the system that I wanted to play all first half was not the system we were able to play because we had seven guys down. So we had to, we had to change things a little bit. And, um, sometimes that requires a, a guy picking up a little bit more than they want to in certain areas. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I know, I know better than to try and fit a square peg into a round hole. I, I know our guys, that's what I study on. And now what system would work best to use our strengths the most, right? That competitive matrix of trying to exploit the opponent's weaknesses and, and minimize their strengths and, and the same with ours, right? Employ our strengths as much as possible and minimize our weaknesses. And as long as that matrix is, is intact, then I think we're okay. And I really don't care how we do it. I just make sure that we do it as best as we can. Now, I think Ontario fans, uh, we've been spoiled a little bit with the success that Ontario's had at the national tournament where before you guys started doing it, I think we'd have to circle back to like when Orist was at U of T and I think Howie Grossinger bragged that he, you know, had the, the last eSports medal before you guys did. So what would you credit to Ontario, uh, not only getting to that level again, but also being able to maintain it and have success that, you know, we go to nationals and it's not an upset when we win a quarterfinal anymore. Like it's, it's almost expected. Um, yeah, well, I would say first the development system underneath, like the, some clubs are doing a great job of developing young athletes, right? And, um, if the, if the scholarship situation were different in Ontario, we'd probably be able to keep even more athletes here. Um, but I think we're doing a, a, a real good job at the developmental level, the OVA and their, and their team mode blacks and reds and the high performance programs that they're putting together and. The, the high performance clubs that are out there that have now have strength conditioning base to them and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we're, we're just producing better athletes. So there's more of them. So now when we get, they get to the a good university program, uh, there's not as many gaps anymore. And so we we've narrowed it. Now we haven't been able to break through. So I don't think that this job is, is done by any stretch of the imagination. We haven't bridged anything. We're closer. Um, but you know, there, there's still some steps that we want to take. So, by no means am I or I think any other coach sitting back saying, okay, well, this, this is kind of where we wanted to be. We wanted to be competitive. Uh, we're not there yet. So I do think that uh, the, the talent level for sure, um, but just the opportunities that we talked about of trying to mesh it with as many competitive uh, matches as we can get, whether that's south of the border or the, the best teams in the country, uh, trying to get as many high-performance competitive opportunities as we can with the best athletes. I think that's going to suit you for success later on when you when you really want to win those matches. Definitely, and, I, and I'm glad you mentioned the clubs because yeah, it seems like there are a lot more who it's not just high performance on a t-shirt. They actually live it and they, they do a lot oh, of nice absolutely. things. Yeah. Um, just anecdotally, I, I've noticed at Mac a first year between a fourth year, like they're putting on some positive weight. Like Andrew <laughs> Richards came in and he he was a kid, right? He left, he was a grown man, right? Like there's a lot of examples like that, right? Um, what is the S&C system here? Are, are you kind of prescribing the schedule and saying this is when we have a taper, so I need the guys fresh, this is when we can go heavy, or are you guys working together and are they kind of providing both? 
Um, I know your listeners can't see this, but this is my my YPI, uh, my yearly planning index, and it, there's nothing that happens here by accident. So uh, our strength conditioning staff here with Ben Barami and Zach Keltoff is unbelievable. And uh, I've got a really good staff um, that we meet every Monday right after our leadership meeting. I have an IST meeting. So our integrated services team meets every Monday as well. And we go through a roster rundown of, all right, number one, David Doty. Where's he at academically? Where's he at in the weight room? Where's he at in the physio room? Where's he at? Every Monday we do one to 19 and we go right through, we monitor their jumps. We know how much energy they're using in games, how much energy they're using in practices. Um, we're, we're doing as much as we can to help our athletes be optimal when they need to be the best. Um, so sometimes that is, you know, laying off the weights a little bit, but that's in conjunction with me, Ben and Zach. We all make those calls along with Carly, our, our head therapist. And sometimes there's an academic level to it as well. So there's a number of layers to a student athlete and their development. Uh, it's my job to make sure that this map is in place, but there's a lot of drivers behind this on this map. So um, I'm very fortunate here at McMaster that it's not a one-man show. There's there's a lot of people behind this, and uh, and thankfully, uh, you know, I think the athletes benefit from that. So. So with their input, you're not afraid to veer the plan a little bit where like you started make this roadmap at the start of the year, but it sounds like every Monday you could make a small adjustment here or there when needed, right? Oh, absolutely. You have to almost. Um, again, when you have seven injuries in, a, in the first half of the season, staying on that plan could have been detrimental. Like we, we could have hurt people had we had tried to stay on that. So we had to. In fact, we saw it firsthand where we we were managing our training so much that we were starting to lose our competitive edge um, because we were managing our volume so much just because our roster was so limited so we had to really monitor that and then flip the switch to say okay enough here we we need to compete and we need to bring that back um, those were not easy weeks in fact those were probably three of our toughest weeks where we really had to watch our training volume but really try and move our competitive uh our competitive level forward so uh, that, that was a challenge for us but i think we did it pretty successfully so uh, once again just for the the club coach or the high school coach listening they might be saying you know all those things are, are great we just said dave but I, I have a staff of one person and a parent mm -hmm. volunteer um what would you suggest to a club coach because the the coaching certification is shifting that way where everybody's got to have a seasonal plan and kind of pull from it um what do you look for to make adjustments you mentioned injuries are a big one or academics like they should probably pay attention to their high school season when their athletes are going to have a big load that way what would you maybe suggest for highlight tournaments where the ova model is very competitive where you can be relegated right so i might say i want to win provincials and i'm going to build towards that but i still have to take care of the tournament in november right mm -hmm. so how do you identify like what a key event is and and what's what success is maybe if it's not winning that, that gold medal in that, that time of the season? Yeah, well, there's two things to that. First, I think the first thing is you work from the back, and you work, you know, from the back and then uh, and go to present day. So, where do we want to be in at nationals in May, and then you work back from there. Um, so, I, I think it's easier to do that when you're trying. Then you're trying to, you know, let's peak by Friday. That, that that's always a trap. So if you have a plan, okay, where do we want to end up in nationals? Where do we want to end up in provincials? Where do we want to, and you start to work back that way, right? And then you get to present day. And um, I don't think that there's any um, 
one formula that you can do. I think there's going to be a number of areas. So the, the, the criteria that we look at is physical, technical, tactical, mental. Right? So you have to be physically capable, and we'll talk about this at the coaching symposium uh, in our presentation, but you've got to be physically capable of handling the technical volume so you can perform the tactical systems so you can be mentally confident enough to win when it matters the most. Physical, technical, tactical, mental. So if you want to be there in May, then when are you going to do your physical training? When are you going to do your technical when are you going to do your system-based stuff? And then when are you just going to focus on your competition level, right? So the, that physical, technical, tactical, mental can help you guide of saying, look, maybe that tournament in November, it might cost us a little bit. But if we don't lay those foundations down physically in that before that, then we won't get to where we want to get to in November or in, in sorry, in uh, at Nationals. So you got to, there, sometimes there's costs, sometimes there's not. The difference for us, Josh, is quite honestly, every one of those athletes in that team or in that club is going to be at a different point in that spot. Some may not need as much physical development, and some may require more technical. And some might be technically fine, but they need way more physical work. That's where that one person can make those assessments. I don't think it's fair that you treat everybody the same. I think it's fair that everybody gets what they need. That's different. So somebody might be getting way more reps in practice because they need them. And somebody might be doing a lot more push-ups in practice because they need them. So I don't think it's fair that everybody does the same. I think it's fair that everybody gets what they need. So that's kind of the way I define it. And then we kind of work from, okay, here's where we want to go. Let's work back. Uh, I've taken a lot of your time. That did spark one more question. I, <laughs> I was lucky to be in Gatineau, and Dan Lewis is actually big on that, where he mentioned like little things like uh, if the left sides are doing 20 passing reps, he wants his liberos to do 40 because they're not doing the same, right? Um, I think that's easier said than done though when you're coaching club kids and how does how come Dave got to do the drill twice and I only got to do it once for four minutes? Like, is it just a communication thing or how do you get people to buy into those little things? Because I think as a coach, it makes sense until you're in the gym and, and you're breaking hearts or you're ranking people or you're giving people different challenges, right? Yeah, I think that's where that comes down to trust, right? And when you can look... Uh little Susie in the eye and say, look, honey, the reason why she's getting this is because that's what she needs. And the reason why you're doing this is because this is what you need. Are we on the same page here? Like, do, do you believe that I'm accurate with that and have them, they don't need to buy in if it's theirs. <laughs> they own their own development. They already, they've already bought it. It's theirs. So you're just facilitating their development. You don't have to sell it to them. When you get into positions where you're trying to sell somebody that this is what's good for them, you're probably barking up the wrong tree already. But if they know that this is what they need and they are bought in, so to speak, then it's a lot easier to facilitate that. So I think anytime you're trying to sell something, you're in for a world of hurt. Ask the guys who show up on my front door that are trying to sell me. It's, that's not working out that well for them. But if I know I need it, I'm going to go find it. And so now my job is to make sure that whenever those young student athletes ask i've got some answers and some provision to, to get what they need yeah it sounds like you really walk it right where i think trust isn't just like a sign we put up on the wall and say this is what we're about like that, that's something you have to be pretty consistent with right like it doesn't you're not afraid to have the tough conversation but that's the foundation that says you know what this is why this is happening today josh and that's why andrew got this right like, yeah yeah and yeah tr trust doesn't mean and i say to our guys all the time we can be friendly but we may not be friends Right. It's, it's hard to take an athlete to that limit. It, it just is. You know, if I'm going to be in your grill when you don't really 
want to be pushing for that last extra rep, it's going to be hard. And you got to believe that I'm doing it for the right reasons. I'm not doing this to pad my resume. I'm doing this because this is what's best for your development. And sometimes they get there and they go, I don't want to do this anymore. Okay. But then you can't say that back on Monday and go, oh, well, I didn't get that. Wait a minute. <laughs> you, can't, you can't play both sides of that. Either this is what it's going to take and we're going to do it, or this is what it's going to take. You're not going to do it, but that negates the rest of that conversation. Fair? And, and so, yeah, you're right. If you don't have that trust, those difficult conversations, they can go sideways in a hurry. But if the principles are in place of respect and honesty and trust, then I think those conversations are understood. May not always be liked, but at least understood. Definitely, definitely. Well, I've taken a lot of your time. You know, I'll just credit this that we're going to leave the listener wanting more and that they should attend the, the Can-Am Holiday Showcase because you'll not only be coaching your squad, but uh, you are doing a, a coaching presentation. Uh, who are you paired with? I believe they're John. pairing the Canadians with you. So you're going to be with John Sparasso. That'll be a great presentation. So everybody should attend that. That's in Toronto once again, December 28th to 31st. Uh, and then remind me of the dates. When does Trinity come here? January 3, 4, both at 7 o'clock. And you guys have been great about packing people in and, and yeah. really Tickets available at MaraderCA.ca. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a fun atmosphere to be a part of, and you guys are definitely showcasing your level, but not only that, but men's volleyball in Ontario. So thank you for everything you do with that. And, yeah, we'll have to have you back on, but uh, thanks for the time you gave us today. I know you're busy, but uh, this has been great. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Josh.